Okay, we are looking at Nahum today. How many of you have ever studied Nahum? Any? Wow, it's remarkable. Somebody asked me, I love being in the Minor Prophets. Is Numbers like this? Yeah, Numbers is. Maybe I'll tackle that one one of these days. Wherever you are in the Bible, it doesn't matter. It's the same story with a different slant, okay? Numbers has a lot of numbers. <laughs> okay. Let me remind you of the history so you can see where we are. 10th century, Solomon died. Terrible, terrible ruler. Left the nation in a shambles. Immediately there was a civil war. They broke into two groups, Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom. Northern Kingdom took 10 tribes and they left the house of David. And they went north, created their own altars and their own all kinds of stuff. And that started a long sequence of mostly evil kings. Southern Kingdom around uh, Jerusalem, they pretty much stayed faithful to Yahweh, the true God of the Old Testament, the God that we worship, okay? Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom. And so the Northern Kingdom continued to progress along evil lines. And so you have next to them their neighbor, Assyria, kind of powerful, and then the power waned, then it came up, depending on who was a ruler. But they were the superpower, and they got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So you may remember God sent two prophets to the northern kingdom, Hosea, Amos. Amos's indictment was, take care of the poor and the marginalized. You're not doing that. And Hosea's indictment was, you're prostituting yourself to all these other gods, turn back. Well, they were 150 years after Solomon. That's how patient God is, to wait, okay? So Assyria begins to grow, and they became kind of a vassal. They were colonized by Assyria, if you will. And so God sends Jonah to Assyria um, to say, ooh, be careful, because, you know, you've got this, you're coveting this nation here. So Jonah's announcement to Nineveh was there's going to be in 40 days, God's going to destroy this city. So Nineveh is one of the five capital cities of Assyria, their big neighbor over here. Now they're growing and they're not growing. They're getting bigger and more powerful. And along with that comes arrogance and ego, corruption, greed, and everything else you can think of. So he sends Jonah to them and says, hey, you know, stop it. So they repent. You remember Jonah's story? Jonah didn't want to go. They're the enemy. He, they're familiar with the story of a couple of kings earlier. They come over here and then was cruel. You'll see what they did in just a minute in Nahum. But they were very cruel people. My own opinion is that of all the people groups that have ever, the nations that have ever lived, if they weren't the most cruel, they were in the top two or three, what they did to people. And so Jonah goes there and they repent um, and avert the 40 days. But it doesn't last long. Okay. The whole reason they repented now is because they believed in God. They didn't want to be destroyed. And so when a new God comes in and says, I'm going to destroy you in 40 days, ooh, okay, okay, okay. You got our message. But he, passed, he moves on. God leaves them alone. And they immediately turn. And eventually, they destroy the northern kingdom. <clears throat> they cease to exist. And they're gone. They no longer exist. So now we're past the northern kingdom. Okay, We're 100 years past Jonah now. And God sends Nahum. Uh, to the southern kingdom to tell them the prophecy of what's going to happen to this nation, Assyria, because of their evil. 
And so he's doing it also to warn the southern, the northern kingdom's gone. So the southern kingdom has been warned not to do what the northern kingdom did. So Isaiah comes, by the way, a major prophet and a minor prophet, that just means one big, one small, that's all it means. So Isaiah, the big prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they cover a long period of time and they talk about a lot of issues. The small prophets, the minor ones, they cover a specific issue. So in between the northern kingdom and Jonah uh, and the Assyrians destroying them, there's one more prophet, Micah, will come to him next. But I wanted you to see Jonah and Nahum back to back because they're both dealing with the Assyrians and what's going to happen. So the southern kingdom, by this time, they're the two tribes that had left. They're the uh, only people left. Northern kingdom's gone. They don't exist anymore. So the southern kingdom is now a vassal colony to the Assyrians, and they're worried about it because they saw what happened. So God is very patient. So Solomon dies. 150 years later, he sends a prophet. And then he sends uh, Jonah to Nineveh, the Assyrians. A hundred years later, he sends Nahum to give the prophecy. We learned some things from about God's patience here. God gives us a lot of rope to hang ourselves. Okay? We have freedom. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then in verse 13, just don't lose that freedom to indulge your sinful desires which is what the Assyrians did. So now the southern kingdom is anxious because they're controlled by the northern kingdom and, um, and they're wondering what God's going to do. We'll come back to that in just a minute. So why did God wait a century to send another prophet aside from his patience? He clearly had patience. It's 100 years since Jonah was there. And so um, he sends Nahum to allow the southern kingdom time to turn back to him they're beginning to wander away the warnings didn't work when we come to Micah next you'll see some of the warnings that God sent to the southern kingdom but um, Isaiah uh, and Micah had already been sent to warn them and they're not listening so the period of time was a rough period and I'll describe that in a minute for the southern kingdom but let me tell you what the about the Assyrians because Nahum gives us insight within scripture of how evil these people were okay i'm going to read to you just three passages um this is in the woe to nineveh chapter three i'm going to start back in verse two the crack of whips the clatter of wheels galloping horses jolting chariots this is a fabulous poem nahum is a poem it's a prophecy contained in poetic structure and he's just throwing all these pick these pictures out at the, to the people of the southern kingdom to show them what, what, this, what they're like, what Assyria is like. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses, jolting chariots, and now verse 3, charging cavalry, flashing swords, glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses. Okay, this is just one of the pictures of the Assyrians. They're very evil. They were so cruel. And so, uh, and they're known for that cruelty. Then in verse 10, uh, in verse 8, we have Thebes. Thebes was the big city in Egypt, and the Assyrians went down and crushed them. This major city just crushed them. And here's what happens in Crebes, in Thebes, verse 10. Yet she, Thebes, was taken captive and went into exile. Her infants were dashed to pieces at every street corner. Children had no value. 
This is the Assyrians taking your children and killing them. That's what they did. That's how horrible they were. Then in verse, at the very last verse of the book, nothing can heal you, Assyria. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. Okay? They're just doing this because God's going to destroy this horrible nation. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? These are the Assyrians. And there's a lot more that we know from archaeology and history about the evil things that they did with people. They were just very cruel. They didn't mind pain. They, they relished in it. They relished in torture and pain. So they were cruel beyond cruel. But God had warned the northern kingdom, okay, if you turn back to me, this nation's going to go away. Okay, pause. God says several times, I decide which nation to raise up and which nation to destroy. That's my decision. I am God. You are not. So that should bring us comfort in today's world. We'll come back and talk about that in a minute in our own culture. God decides who to raise up and who to destroy. All the ancient nations that we read about no longer exist from the Old Testament times. So he's warning them, stop, or these people are going to, to do something to you. They're going to, they're going to destroy you. They don't listen. They become more and more idolatrous. And so these people come and they do this. So now they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger and their cruelty is well known to everybody. And so God now says to this kingdom, the southern kingdom, here's what I'm going to do. You see, during this time in the south, the southern kingdom, they did have a couple of evil kings. Manasseh is one of them. Manasseh was a very evil and destructive king in the south. And so he had already, he was so bad that the, the Assyrians, when they colonized here, they sent him into exile. That's how bad he was, okay? I mean, if, if you're bad to the Assyrians, that's really bad. And so the, the kingdom, the southern kingdom, is now controlled by Assyria. They're humbled, they're disillusioned, they're suffering. They have no hope that they can find. That's the scene in which God sends Nahum to the southern kingdom to tell him what's going to happen. So one of the questions that gets raised here is a couple of them actually, is that will God actually be faithful to the promises he made to Abraham and David? We don't see any hope. Ten of the tribes are now gone. The southern one's controlled by Assyria and they're evil. Is God really going to fulfill his promise to Abraham? What was his promise to Abraham? Through you and your descendants, I'm going to bless the whole world, every nation. That was the promise. Same promise he made to David. Going to bless the whole world. Okay? Is that true? Is he really going to do it? There's very little hope. Now I know that a lot of you are paying attention to what's happening in our own culture. Uh, the swirl around us is so fluid and so rapid and often destruct, destructive, isn't it? When you see it, our own nation, you know, we're, I think we've, we've gone two decades now where the church has declined at a rate of 5,000 members a day in the United States. And the further, the smaller the church gets, the more corrupt the world becomes. And so I know for many of you, that's a time of fear and questioning. 
Where's God in all this? The good news is that the, the, more, um, the smaller we get, the bigger we shine. Okay? You're not, you guys are not naive. You know what's happening if you follow media at all um, with pastors around the country. We just had one, sorry, but it was just in the papers. A uh, pastor just pled guilty to sexual assault on a dozen girls ages 10 to 12. Okay? And we go, oh, we should do that. But at the same time, we should say, yes, God, clear house. Clear the house. Let judgment begin with the household of God, Peter tells us. And so it should. And so every time I read this in the paper, part of me, my heart breaks for the victims and it breaks for the church because these people out here are going to mock us with this. And I'm okay with that because if God is clearing house, that means we're more and more authentic. Okay? And that's what we need is authentic Christians. But the second question that they're wrestling with is God truly sovereign over the nations of the world? And that's a question that we have to wrestle with. Is he truly sovereign? I don't believe in chance. I don't believe in destiny. Don't believe in fate. Don't believe in coincidence. I don't. I'm a strong believer in sovereignty. That's why Paul can say in Romans 13, he says it twice, to uh, there's no authority placed there except that which has been determined by God. And so God gets to decide. He is God. I may not understand it. As Job says, I have spoken of things too wonderful for me to understand at the end of his life, at the end of that year-long trial of pain. And so we have to remember that something is happening that's too wonderful for us to understand. Uh, clearing, out, clearing out the church is wonderful to me. That's just wonderful. We need it. We need that to happen. So they're wrestling the southern kingdom. They're watching Assyria get bigger and bigger and more cruel, bigger and bigger. They're now colonized by them and their king, their own king has been deported and he was an evil guy. They're very disoriented. They're confused. They're not sure about things. And so they're questioning God's sovereignty. Is he really in control? And that's a question we should all wrestle with. Is he really in control? We see what's happening. Is he in control? And I would say, yes, he is. Yes, he is. So Nahum's answer through his message to the question, is God really sovereign over the nations of the world, is a resounding yes. You know, most of you know I was in Cambodia recently last fall. If you don't know the story of Cambodia, you can watch the horrible movie. I mean, it's a great movie, but of a horrible time, The Killing Fields where the Cambodian leaders came in, they killed all the educated, all the mature, all the older people. So what I, had, what I was working with is all these young people that have no training, very little education. That's all that's left. Um, in fact, it's not uncommon to hear explosions because when you buy a field, the government says, don't, don't walk in the field, we'll come out and clear it of landmines. Okay? Do you know one of the greatest statements of depravity? If you ever have a question, do you know how many unexploded landmines there are estimated to be in the world? 110 million. Boy, is there any greater statement of depravity that we would plant in the ground things that would kill people? They're still unexploded after all these years? And so Cambodia, I, uh, I went there. They planned on, they, they expected 20. They planned on 30. We had 75. I'm going back in September. They just told me this week they already have 150. So... That's their problem, not mine. But they don't, have any, they don't have any knowledge of the Bible. 
Okay, very little training, but they have the Holy Spirit. And so what are they doing? They're out loving their people. They're caring for the poor. They're starting schools. They're working in the slums. They're doing the things that we do in our country by the whole, because of the Holy Spirit. So when I get up there and I start teaching them these stories, they're just, they can't get enough. See, nations come, nations go. I'm not suggesting that our nation's coming to an end. I love it that from the time of Solomon until the time that the southern kingdom's deported is 400 and something years. God, he's very patient. We got a lot of time left because he's given us rope. <laughs> so as we do our job in Summit County, we shine. We shine here. So Nineveh would fall. That's his message. They're going to fall. And what a comfort. In fact, the name Nahum is hard to, is hard to ex- define it, what it means. But it most likely has something to do with the comfort of God. And that very much relates to the Holy Spirit coming, right? He was a comforter. So the message is that Nineveh and therefore all of Assyria is going to fall. So the Lord will get revenge. Nineveh uh, chapter 1. A prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. Now, one of the things I've been arguing is that when we put all of the minor prophets side by side, we get a glimpse of God's faithfulness. We get a glimpse of his mercy, his tender mercy, but we also get a glimpse of his judgment. If you just read it, you just read the prophets, man, it sure looks like God is always doing this, doesn't it? He's always doing this. And that's true, he is. But you have to be careful. God is not a God of wrath and vengeance in the Old Testament and a God of grace in the New Testament. That just makes him bipolar, okay? He's always a God of wrath to those who say the hell with you, God, always. And he's always a God of grace to the faithful remnant in the midst of the chaos. So every prophet we look at, we see this twin message there. And so he's demonstrating, he's about to demonstrate his wrath to the Assyrians. And sure enough, while this nation is gloating, here's the northern kingdom here, the Assyrians, we have another kingdom over here, the Medes and the Babylonians. They're starting to grow, and pretty quick they're going to come in and do to this nation what they did to this nation. So God, he's got a way of, of orchestrating historical events to fulfill his purpose. What is his purpose? That everyone would come to know him and trust him. That's his mission. And when people make the decision, he lets you decide. When he makes the decision, no, you're done. And so this book is filled with lots of that prophetic wrath, okay, and vengeance, but it's not against the faithful. So we read that in uh, verse 1 and 2. When you get on to verse 8, he says, um, with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. This is the negative version, the negative side of his omniscience. Where can you go, enemies of God, to get away from him? Nowhere. What did David say in Psalm 139? The positive side. Where can I flee from God's presence? No place. So as faithful people, we rejoice because we're never apart from God's presence, ever. 
He is with us everywhere. In fact, we're getting ready to celebrate communion in just a few minutes. The sending of the Spirit so that we would never be alone again. But for those who are rebellious, ooh, this is a dire warning. He'll pursue you to the end of creation through all the darkness. He'll let you decide, but once you decide, then you're done. Okay? I honestly believe, I know he went after Peter. Peter denied him three times. If Judas hadn't committed suicide, I believe he would have gone after Judas too. Because he pursues people all the way to the end. That's the way God does it. So, um, here he's going to destroy Nineveh. Now, why is he going to do this? Well, we find that out just a couple of verses later in verse 11. From you, Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord, all caps, against Yahweh, and devises wicked plans. Okay? Devises wicked plans. So, why is he going after him? Because they've made their commitment. He drew a line in the sand when he sent Jonah, and they said, forget it. Forget you. We like our gods better than you. He said, okay, it's your choice. So what's the result? You find it in verse 12. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they're the superpower. Babylon's just starting to grow. They're the big superpower. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and they will pass away. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Judah's a southern kingdom. So God is kind of spanking them and warning them. Hey, hey, wake up. You saw what happened. Don't follow in the same path as the northern kingdom. So the result is that they will be destroyed. So then... In chapter 3, he gives us a picture, a more graphic picture. I've read some of this to you already. Listen to this, this graphic language. Woe to the city of blood. That's Nineveh. Woe. They loved killing people. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. Wow, never without victims. The crack of whips. The clatter of wheels, galloping horses, jolting chariots, charging cavalry, cavalry, flashing swords, glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the lust of a prostitute alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution. So they've been lured after the gods. They don't believe in the one true God. He's using that analogy like he used earlier, of prostitution. They have prostituted themselves and turned their back on God, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. That is the reason. That's the reason. Maybe our nation will get there one day. Don't know. Sure has happened to a lot of nations before us. I don't believe it. I think it will certainly be after my lifetime. But in the meantime, we have work to do, don't we? We have work to do to show a people, a people that thus far have rejected God, what it means to be a faithful people who love, who care, who pray, right? We need a people to see tender mercy. We need a people to see a kind heart generosity. That's why I believe it is absolutely critical that this fellowship be healthy. We have our tentacles all over this county. We have people on the 
town council here. We have a bunch of you that work in the hospital. Some work in pharmacies. Some are in the school system. You're in jobs around the county. And so the Lord, through our church, because we display the kingdom. Remember, there's no other institution that reveals the kingdom to a fallen world. The church is it. And so God has made sure, because of our over 100-year history, that we have tentacles from our church in every part of the county. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So we don't need to hide from the world. Don't need to be angry for the world, about the world. We don't need to be scared. We don't need to do any of that because of the God that we serve. And so as each of you are out there living out your kingdom theology, your belief in this God, okay, then God uses it. You see, that was a problem with the southern kingdom. They lost their vision. We haven't lost ours. We haven't lost ours. So we have a significant role to play. So now let's go back and look at a few verses in Nahum to see, because remember, amongst, in every prophet, you have this prophetic judgment of vengeance of what God's going to do to those who rebel against him and who perpetrate evil against his. He is a jealous God. He's jealous for us. God will get vengeance. So in the middle of all these prophets, there's always a little bit of snippet of, of hope for the people of God, the faithful. That's us. So listen to what he says. This is Nahum, Nahum chapter 1, verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger. You've heard that before. But he's great in power. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. Okay? So you're down here in the southern kingdom. Your king is evil, so evil that the Assyrians got, they deported him. And the superpower, which you know is so cruel, has now colonized you. There's no hope. And in the middle, you hear this. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. And then a little bit lower in verse 7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. You see, this is what, as our, as our culture becomes less and less oriented toward the values of the Bible, then we become a refuge right here. And God is often defined as a refuge. He is our refuge and our strength. That's why it's so critical that we stay healthy as a church and stay focused in our faith at how God, how great he is and, who, and how good he is. But then in chapter 2, verse 2, here's their hope. The Lord will restore. He just said the Lord will destroy the Assyrians. You can count on it. Now he's going to tell the people, the faithful, what they have in store. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob and the splendor of Israel. So now he's talking about the nation, okay? Through the, though destroyers have laid them waste and have run their vines. He's, it doesn't matter. As bad as it has gotten for them... He has not forgotten his promise to Abraham and to David. Isn't that the story of Emmanuel? Christmas, God with us? Isn't that the story of communion? Do this in remembrance of me. I remembered. That's what he's saying. I remembered. Don't forget. God is good. He's slow to anger. He's good. And he will restore he will restore his people. That's what happens when Jesus comes on the scene. One of the saddest stories 
to me in the Bible is in uh, Ezekiel 6. Ezekiel, a priest of God, is now taken into Babylonian capture, exile. We'll get to that a little bit down the road. But he's sitting on the banks of the Kabar River in Babylon, weeping. He doesn't understand. And he said, why, God? What happened? He was a priest. He served in the temple. So God says, I'll let you see what happened. So he takes him in a vision back into the temple, okay, and says, now, show me what you see. You're going to see through my eyes. That's what you're going to see. And he says, look to the north. What do you see? He said, I see in the temple all these men with their backs to the holy temple bowing down to a blasphemous idol. Right. Now go to the east. Go to the west. What do you see? It's the same everywhere it goes. Then around the holy place, they have these sacred rooms where animals are prepared and things like that. He takes them inside those rooms and says, now what do you see? This is in eight, chapters 8 and 9. <clears throat> what do you see? Oh, I see the horrible, despicable gods of the Babylonians all over the walls, painted. And what are the people doing? There's pictures and behaviors of men doing things with animals, with other men, and with women they should not be doing. And he goes, that's the reality. What you see is an illusion. This is the reality of the world. And then in chapter 10, the seraphim and the Holy of Holies covering the ark, the seraphim raises up, flies to the edge of the wall, looks back at the Holy of Holies and flies away. God left the Holy of Holies. So by the time you get to Jesus' time, Herod has built this magnificent temple. And the Jews are trying to fulfill every part of the Mosaic law that they can. There's one problem. God's not there. The Holy of Holies is empty. It's an empty room. The Ark of the Covenant was taken long ago by the Babylonians. God's glory is not there. It's an empty room. And Ezekiel got to see what it looked like. I have no idea what our country looks like through God's eyes. I'm not that smart. Uh, But I have that, and then I have the image in Revelation where he sees the woman holding the chalice. Okay? They would have immediately thought, I believe, of the goddess Roma, who Rome is named after. There is Roma, statues were all over the place. This wonderful goddess holding the, the chalice, okay? So picture this. I go, Nancy and I go on vacation to New York and I get to see the, uh, the Statue of Liberty. That stands for something for us, freedom and liberty, right? And I come back and I say, while I was there, God took me into a vision and I got to see uh, what it really looks like. There's blood running down her arm because we killed so many people to become great. I'm not saying that's the truth, but imagine the shock value. So he says in Revelation, I see goddess Rama holding the chalice of great power, and I see the blood of all the people that Rome murdered to become great. See how shocking that would be? So he occasionally gives us glimpses into how the earth looks. Ezekiel saw it. John saw it in Revelation, and he's giving us pictures right here of how wicked, how wicked these Assyrians are. I don't know what he sees from our nation. I really don't. We've been a blessed nation. I hope it's nowhere near that bad, (laughs) you know? 
but it helps us to see that God looks at things different than we do, okay? That's why I say when you see the swirl of culture around you, that's nothing to be afraid of. God really is sovereign. He really does know how to navigate the faithful through that. That's us. Now, I'm not going to worry about the Supreme Court. I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to worry about the powers of which I have no authority over. What I'm concerned about is what we have uh, authority over, and that's how we live our own lives. God gets to decide what he does with it, but we need to stay faithful, and that's the message in Nahum. You see, Nahum becomes a book of comfort for the southern kingdom. It's one more warning. Don't do what the northern kingdom did. And I'll show you how powerful I am, God says. I'll wipe out the Assyrians. It's a book of comfort. Relax. Relax. He never gives up. He also gets vengeance for his people. But what Nahum is telling us is comforting. Don't give up. What Nahum is telling us is that God is actually in control. He is that sovereign. He's that powerful. And he's that tender-hearted toward us. And by the way, he's that tender-hearted toward these people out here too. He's going to pursue them all the way to the end and let them decide. So we should feel the same way, that tender-hearted compassion toward these people. Okay? I'm going to shock you. The school board is not the enemy. The president, whichever is in office, is not the enemy. The Supreme Court is not the enemy. Our governor is not the enemy. That's why Paul can say our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against Satan. He is the enemy. Okay? So Nahum really gives us a glimpse that God is sovereign and God is in control. And we get a chance to live that out and do it well. Father, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for our country. Lord, uh, there's no way um, I could have gone to Cambodia um, from other countries, they, they just wouldn't have allowed it. But we have a country that not only, not only allows it, but uh, you've raised up people to make it possible. And Father, I watch Cambodia after all they've gone through, and here you are turning it around with these young, young leaders, doing what you asked them to do, love their people. Father, um, uh, we are nervous about our country, not going to lie to you, uh, for a variety of reasons. I don't even think we're unified in what we're nervous about, but we are nervous, Lord, as we as we slip, as we see uh, slipping occurring. So God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the care and the concern to look toward our own people right here and to be faithful. And we'll let you worry about everybody else. Uh, Supreme Court, the president, the cabinet, the, all the branches of the government, that's your, that's your issue. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus who, as our high priest, was faithful. Amen.